Welcome to episode 10 of Voices of Texas, the podcast about Texans. I'm your host, Matthew Hinman, and I'm glad to be with you this week. From Sherman to Corpus Christi, from Pecos to Texarkana, Voices of Texas brings you the most interesting Texans every episode. And I'll be right back, right after this quick message. Are you addicted to hot sauce, mock water and barbecue, spicy foods, chili peppers, or buffalo wings? Oh yeah! Well, have I got something for you. This is Scott Roberts, host of The Firecast, a foodie podcast that features the best of fiery foods and barbecue. So whether you like cooking over fire or enjoy cuisine that feels like fire in your mouth, there's something in it for you. So tune in to The Firecast at firecastpodcast.com and savor the bird. What is Texas without country music? Well, it wouldn't be Texas, that's for sure. And while it's not everyone's cup of tea, country music has been a staple of Texas culture and continues to produce some of the most well-known performers in the music industry. My guest today is the founder of the Heart of Texas Country Music Association, a fan club originating in Brady, Texas. And he got his start in a small-town radio station at just 15 years old. Today, he not only still works on air and runs the fan club, but has since opened a museum that garners visitors from all over the world. Tracy Pitcox, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Matthew. I appreciate you uh, letting us be with you today and certainly excited to be part of the uh, the Voice of Texas program. Well, Tracy, I'm going to let my listeners in on a little secret here. That's uh, not only that we went to the same school together, but that we both worked together at the same radio station for a while. That's exactly right. KNEL in, in Brady, Texas. And uh, it's, it's produced a, um, a, a few good folks, and hopefully you and I are counted among those. <laughs> I like to think so. Well, you know, uh, it, it's those uh, those days in radio that kind of, uh, uh, you know, I think back to when I'm doing uh, podcasting because it's kind of another form of that. Um, but you, you've kind of uh, got an interesting start uh, there in radio back in your teens, but you started a country music fan club. Uh, tell me about how that got started, and and the, our folks who are listening, uh, what what they uh, uh, can can understand about the fan club. Well, Matthew, it's, it was really interesting. You know, I always loved radio. Radio was was my big thing growing up. I would listen to late night radio, uh, people like Bill Mack and and Larry Scott and Billy Parker and those kind of late night disc jockeys that had late night request programs. Uh, when I was growing up, and they usually went on the air at 11 o'clock or midnight or something like that and stayed on the air till 5 or 6 o'clock, mainly uh, playing music for the, the truck drivers you know, back in the uh, 80s and, and that sort of thing back when I was listening to them. And I always had a fascinate, fascination for radio. And so whenever I was 15 years old, I, I uh, started working for, for KNEL Radio thanks to a, a fellow friend, Randall King, who at that time was already employed at the radio station and uh, he talked him into hiring me and so my first shift on on KNEL was working from 7 p.m. until 10 p.m. every evening and at that time we probably had about 50 listeners <laughs> at that time of the evening you know there wasn't wasn't many people that listened to radio in Brady Texas that late at night but I would I would do play the old 45s and that sort of thing and then at 10 o'clock I would read the news and into obituaries and then play the Star Spangled Banner and then close down the radio station because we were only on the air from 6 o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock at night uh, during those days. 
but that was kind of my first love for, for radio. In 1989, while I was a senior in, in high school, uh, we started a traditional country music radio program. It was called the Hillbilly Hits Radio Show, which was kind of a throwback to a, a thing called the Hillbilly Hit Parade that used to be heard over KRLD in Dallas. Josh Halstead, whose dad was a Dallas um, uh, radio personality, named the program kind of uh, as a little rebuff of that particular radio show. And then every week we would have a, a radio show that would be nothing but call-in requests. People would request the old legendary artists of the business, people like Conway Twitty and Loretta Lynn and Bob Wills and Ernest Tubb, Hank Thompson, and people such as that. And so every week we would uh, just fill the, the time slot that we had, which was at six, six hours, we would fill the time slot of, with nothing but request. And it kind of got on and, and kind of became popular. A little group was formed originally uh, called the Hillbilly Hits Fan Club, and I think they had about 50 members there for the first uh, first few years of people that were just kind of fans of the of the radio program. And that evolved throughout the last 25-plus years into what we have now as the Heart of Texas Country Music Association, which is a 1,000-member association of uh, people that are, are not only fans of the its radio program, but also fans of, of traditional country music. And we have members all across the United States, not just in, in Brady anymore. Right. So uh, the Heart of Texas Country Music Association is a strong focus on classic country music, traditional yes. country music. Okay. That is correct. And, and traditional and classic country music kind of go hand in hand. Classic country music, I, I think of it as being the, uh, uh, the older classic stuff, the, the things from the 50s and 60s and, and 70s and and that sort of stuff that people uh, people remember as the big hits. Now, traditional country music, in my opinion, is is that music as well. But there's also a lot of newer artists today that are doing uh, more traditional country music. You've got people in their you know 20s and 30s that are doing what I consider traditional country music, and we kind of intertwine that traditional country in with the classic country, and and that's kind of what our core group of support is for. I see. Uh, you know, uh, and it just reminds me of uh, just a few years ago, I'd, I played with a uh, bluegrass band. And mm-hmm. uh, and that, that to me, was traditional country music. Of course. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, take, it takes you back. So how did, uh, uh, how did that uh, eventually, uh, later on, develop into something that you had to open a museum? Well, it was, it's kind of interesting because when, when we started uh, the association and started the radio program, one thing that we kind of focused on were some live performances. And those live performances of some of the, uh, the more traditional uh, classic country artists, we would bring those artists to town and that sort of thing. And, and I, credit, uh, I credit Marty Stewart a lot with our, our collecting because I remember reading Articles about Marty Stewart and, and him having a just a tremendous collection of uh, country music memorabilia, and I was doing an interview one day with Rose Maddox, and a, a old vintage uh, country music singer that's just a, uh, a neat lady that had a song out called Philadelphia Lawyer, and I, I was interviewing Rose Maddox, and I'd I'd read in a, an article I think it was in like Country America magazine that Marty Stewart had just been to Rose Maddox's house and purchased. Uh, all of her old stage costumes. And Rose Maddox and her brothers were known as the most colorful hillbilly band in the land. 
and they had their very loud outfits, the you know the rhinestoned, uh-huh. uh, fringed-out outfits. And so I mentioned that in in the interview with Rose Maddox, and she told me she said, yeah, she said Marty came out here and and Marty bought uh, all of my old costumes. She said, except for one dress that I found the other day in the back of my closet. And so I casually mentioned to her after the interview was over, I said, were you interested in selling that one dress? And she said, she said, yeah. She said, I have a pharmaceutical bill for $100 that I don't have the money to pay. And she said, if you would send me a $100 check, I'll send you that dress. And so she did. She, I sent her $100, and this was back, I guess, probably when I was 19 years old, maybe 20 years old, something like that. And I sent her that $100, and she sent me this, this beautiful dress that was made for her back in the 50s by a guy by the name of Nathan Turk. And she sent me that dress, and it's just encrusted with rhinestones. And, and uh, so it kind of got my interest of, of collecting uh, some of the memorabilia. And so when the artists would come in and work for us and do some shows for us, you know, I'd mention uh, collecting some of their memorabilia. And, and nine times out of ten, they would be kind enough to give us a hat or a suit or a pair of boots or something like that from their past, their past, um, you know, what their past collection that they had, a guitar or something like that. And so after a few years, I, I, I look around and I think, wow, we've got all this stuff. Now what do you do with it? We had it displayed for a while in an office that we had here, and and so then we just decided to uh, to start a a little museum and. We actually, in 1998, kind of came up with the idea. A local businessman, Billy Jackson, had donated uh, a lot on South Bridge Street here in Brady in memory of his wife, Peggy, who was a a very big fan of of the radio program, as was he. And so they gave us this lot. We raised $50,000 as an association. We built the first uh, building of our museum. And since that time, we have increased the size three different on three different occasions, and uh, now have over a hundred country music entertainers. Everyone from Garth Brooks and George Strait and Trisha Yearwood to some of the old time acts like Roy Acuff and and uh, Patsy Cline and Cowboy Copas, Hawkshaw Hawkins, people like that. That we have memorabilia from all those guys. You've Eddie had Wells. quite. Well, I'm sorry. I was going to say you've had quite the the international following too uh, at this museum. That's true. That's true. You know, and, and Kitty Wells, I was going to mention, she actually uh, was known as the queen of country music, had a song called, it wasn't God who made honky tonk angels. Kitty Wells and her husband, Johnny Wright, came down and actually uh, did the groundbreaking for us, which was kind of neat. And a lot of those country artists have come in to see the museum and be with the museum, and that's kind of neat. And uh, as you mentioned, we the international, the people overseas love traditional and classic country music. And and so, so many of those guys, whenever they come over here, uh, they, they hit a lot of different places. They, you know, they, they go to Austin. They, of course, go to Austin. They go to the Houston area. They go out to, to Lubbock. They, they do, uh, you know, the Waylon Jennings Museum, the Buddy Holly Museum. They, they did go to different places, and they include our, our museum as well whenever they're making their trek uh, through Texas. And we're always very proud of those foreigners. There's very seldom do we have a week or two that goes goes by that we don't have someone from overseas. And we've taken shows overseas as well, which is, is really neat. We played Scotland and Ireland and England and uh, Sweden and different uh, countries over there that it's always really neat to go over there and, and take a 
take a group of our country music entertainers over there. Yeah, that, that's just neat. Uh, now, uh, what do you think is probably your most uh, prized piece in the museum? I can tell you what's the most, probably the most visited piece at the museum, and that is uh, Jim Reeves' 1956 flexible tour bus. Uh, Jim had, had only had one bus in his career, and back in 1956, there weren't many country music entertainers that actually had tour buses. But Jim uh, bought a, a flexible tour bus that, that he used up until the time of his, his death, and we actually have his, his tour bus that's uh, out, out beside the museum, and that has been our most uh, visited uh, piece of memorabilia for sure. We have people that stop by all the time, even when the museum is not open, just to get their picture made with Jim's tour bus or, or that sort of thing. Jim Rees also has a huge international following, and, and there's many people that, that come here just to, um, just to see the tour bus. So that's something that we're very proud of. We also have one of Tammy Wynette's uh, limousines. We have one of Erwin Husky's limousines. And then, and then we just have really some really neat things. We actually have a piece of the airplane that, uh, that Patsy Cline was, uh, was killed in back in 1963. And we have a piece of one of the tail sections of, uh, of that airplane. And then we have you know, things like Barbara Mandrell's jukebox. We have the guitars from so many different artists inside. And and uh, Johnny Cash is Johnny Cash went over and, and entertained the troops over it when Desert Storm was going on, and he has a, a, a fatigues. We have Johnny Cash's fatigues that he wore when he went over there and, and entertained the, the troops during Desert Storm. So, you know, we have some really neat things that we're very, very proud of. You know, I think that's just really cool that, that you've got so many different, uh, different uh, memorabilia provided a, a lot of times directly from uh, these various uh, country music celebrities. Now, in the course of, you know, operating this museum and, of course, you know, being in radio as long as you have been, you've come in contact with a few celebrities, I'm sure. Yeah, I've, I've, been, I've been very lucky. It's something that I've, I'm real proud of. I've had a chance to, uh, to meet a lot of, uh, lot of folks. And, and like uh, you and I were talking the other day, you know, the neat thing about country music entertainers, and it doesn't matter what I've noticed from from the largest ones to the to the uh, maybe smallest ones, they're all just like we are. They're they they're just people, and they just have a different profession. And a lot of them have a lot of fame and fortune, but they're just uh, just common people. And most of them uh, won't want to be known as that. I mean, there's a few that have egos, of course, and you're going right. to see that. Yeah, this is an ego driven business, but. Uh, <laughs> The majority, the majority that I uh, that I've come in contact with are are really really good people. Yeah, so I, I'm sure that in the course of uh, of uh, dealing with these celebrities, you've had some uh, interesting uh, uh, encounters that maybe you could recall. Well, there are a few that uh, that I that I that I can recall, and and as a matter of fact, I even I wrote a book a few years ago called Legendary Conversations. With a Texas disc jockey, and and uh, and so in, in that book, I kind of mentioned a few of them uh, along the way. Uh, but a couple of things that that kind of stick out to me uh, that I, I think I even shared this with you uh, when we were talking earlier. Uh, Garth Brooks, of course, is the biggest name in country music. I guess he's sold more records than any other country singer probably ever will or ever has. But 
I'll never forget back in the 90s when, when Garth was kind of just getting really hot. He'd come to San Angelo, Texas, and he was uh, he was doing a concert at a, a place called Texas the Club. And he had gone out earlier that day. There's a boy's uh, home uh, uh, in San Angelo, a boy's ranch in San Angelo. And he'd gone out, and he had spent uh, the biggest part of the day with those underprivileged kids there. And, and just he really spent more time than he was originally planning on doing it. And, and so he had his interview scheduled with me, and I was on the bus waiting. And, and I'll never forget Garth Brooks coming down the hallway in his underwear, uh, whenever we were you know, getting ready to start to do that interview. And I, that was kind of my first impression of the great Garth Brooks was whenever he had, he was running late for the interview and he was trying to get changed in time. And so I uh, saw Garth Brooks in his skivvies before we did the interview that day in San Angelo. And I, that's something that will always stick out in my mind. That's one of the things. <laughs> I can only imagine. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and it's so funny because I ran into Garth at George Jones's uh, funeral here a few years ago or a couple of years ago and and I mentioned I mentioned that instance and he, he certainly remembered being in San Angelo and, and the boys ranch and that sort of thing. So it was kind of fun to reminisce about those kind of things in his, his early career. Another another thing I was thinking about when you were talking about that is is Charlie Walker was a, a great artist that had a song called Pick Me Up on Your Way Down. That was his biggest hit and he was an Opry member for probably forty years. But I was backstage at the Opry one time in Charlie Walker's dressing room talking to him, and, and he was telling me that the previous week uh, Garth Brooks had been at the Opry. And he said that Garth was you know, as hot as a firecracker at that time, and, and all these little girls were just hovered around Garth's, Garth's dressing room. He said there was probably 30 or 40 of them that were just hovered around Garth's dressing room door just waiting for him to, to come out so that they could see him. And and uh, Charlie Walker, who at that time was probably 65, 70 years old, he, he said, I opened the door and I said, um, excuse me, ladies, I have an announcement to make. And he said that they all looked at him thinking that he was going to make some kind of great big announcement about Garth Brooks. And he said, I just wanted you, you girls to know that 50 years ago, your grandmothers were hanging around my dressing room. So... <laughs> So I thought that was a pretty good story. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> but it's kind of neat because you, you don't think about things like that, and, and then you look back at it and you think, wow, that's some neat things that uh, <laughs> that uh, I've had a fortune fortunate enough to be around and to hear. Well, yeah. yeah. Those and people. I, you talk about them being down-to-earth people. And, yes. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've found that myself, too. I've, I've come across where... Uh, different different folks I've met in, in the course of life, and and most of them are. Uh, but you you were telling me a, a, about one particular uh, person who's uh, you you know very well and who has given you some advice. Uh, tell tell our listeners a little bit about that. Yeah, you know I, I love uh, I love Loretta Lynn, and I've I've loved Loretta since I was a kid, and and I used to correspond. I would write her notes and that sort of thing, and and uh, never really thinking that I would get a chance to actually meet her or, or, or that sort of thing. And, and uh, that finally happened in, in, in 1990 in, in Branson for the first time. But, and throughout the last 20, 25 years, I've, I've had a chance to become pretty good friends with Loretta. I get to see her a couple of times a year and, and always enjoy seeing her. But she, she told me one time, and we were, we were sitting on her tour bus, and she told me one time something that I, I'll never forget, and, and she... Uh, 
she told me that that people sometimes concentrate too much on other people's career instead of concentrating on their own. And I thought to myself that was that spoke volumes to me. I mean, because yeah. I was you know that can be you can you can trace that up upon any business. She was talking, of course, about the music business. Sure, about sure. people people worrying about other people and where they're at on the charts or where they're at, right. how many attendants that they have at their shows or what their record is doing this week or how much money they're getting paid mm-hmm. this week or something. That's what she was referring it to, but it, it spoke volumes to me because because I was thinking to myself, I can think you can think about that in your own life. You know, you don't need to worry about what other people are doing. Just concentrate on what you're doing and and do it to the very best of your ability. And and I love Loretta Lynn, and I I, uh, I she's uh, she's always got great advice. And somebody else is just as country as I am is Loretta, and I'm I'm uh, I'm proud to know her. Well, I I was uh, just thinking about uh, her the other day because uh, where I live out here in Midland, Texas, she's coming out to play, I believe, next month uh, here in just a couple of weeks off. So uh, she'll be out. Out here visiting uh, West Texas. She well, knocks them out every, every, every time. It just amazes me. She does a wonderful job. Yeah. Well, so how can my listeners find out more about the Heart of Texas Country Music Museum and, of course, the uh, the fan club, too? What's the, what's the best ways for them to find out about that? Well, of course, technology is wonderful. You know, we have a, we have a very active website, and it's, uh, it's called Heart of Texas Records. It's uh, just H-E-A-R-T-O-F-T-E-X-A-S, records, R-E-C-O-R-D-S, dot com. And Heart of Texas Records actually uh, tells you all about the Heart of Texas Country Music Association, our Heart of Texas Country Music Museum. We have a record label that we're very proud of. Uh, a lot of the artists that we have on our record label, you know, people like Daryl McCall and Tony Booth and Curtis Potter and Johnny Bush, Justin Trevino, Amber Digby, uh, Pretty Miss Norma Jean's on our record label, and then uh, some of the younger uh, artists like Landon Dodd and Amber Digby and Rance Norton and Kimberly Murray. We've just got a lot of really neat people that record for us. I think we've got 60-some-odd albums that we have recorded now here in Brady at our Heart of Texas recording studio. And so all of those albums are available as well on our website at heartoftexasrecords.com. And, um, and that's, that's kind of the, the best way to connect with us as to what's going on. We also have an office that's open uh, five days a week, and that telephone number is, is 325-597-1895. And, and they're happy to send you out a catalog or a newsletter. We produce a monthly newsletter that has all of our activities in it. We have a show schedule that has all of our shows that we do around the area. And so we have that, uh, that's a very active, active group. And yeah. we'll be happy to send out any samples of that stuff. And you guys are on social media as well, right? We are. We are certainly on okay. Facebook. And uh, it's, you can look up uh, Heart of Texas Country Music Museum or look at myself, uh, Tracy, T-R-A-C-Y-P-I-T-C-O-X. And uh, we have all our social media stuff up there as well. And, and we're just very proud to connect with other people that love traditional and classic country music like we do. Perfect. And we'll put up links on VoicesOfTexas.com so uh, everyone can get there uh, from there too. So, uh, Tracy, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, you're welcome. It's a great th- thing, Matthew. And I, 
I think it's wonderful that you're doing what you're doing, and and I certainly look uh, forward to it. I've already listened to four or five of your programs, and certainly looking forward to listening to to, to more of those. And and good luck with your venture. It's always good to know uh, what things that that you're doing, and and certainly I know that your listeners appreciate uh, the Voice of Texas program as well. Well, thank you very much, and. I hope you enjoyed my guest this week. If you are enjoying Voices of Texas, please make a contribution over at patreon.com slash Voices of Texas. Now, I've restructured the donation levels so that you can contribute monthly now at levels of $1, $5, and $10 or more. And if you've already contributed, thank you very much for your kind support. Also, if you're not subscribing, please use a podcatcher app like Stitcher on Android or the podcast app on iOS. And don't forget... It's time for the 10th Annual Podcast Awards. Nominations close February 2nd, 2015. So please head over to podcastawards.com, nominate your favorite podcast. And I only hope that Voices of Texas is one of your nominations. Don't forget too my email survey link on Facebook. Enter by January 31st, 2015. If you want to get your name in the drawing for that uh, nifty neato Voices of Texas coffee mug. Thanks again for listening. And I will talk to you again next week when I bring you another interesting Texan right here on Voices of Texas. Opinions of guests, co-hosts, and others appearing on this podcast are not necessarily the views of its host, producer, or affiliates. No part of this podcast may be reproduced or retransmitted in any way over any medium without express written consent of the producer. 